about build an environment of pursuing curiosity. You know who you are, who you really are. Like <laughs> you are listening to Everyday Educators on 1921 Radio. Everyday Educators, and we educate every day. All right. Here we are, here we are, here we are, Ooh, here we the are. Clapping it up out there. Let me hear it. Welcome back, one and all. If it's your first time here, thank you for all the loved ones who are joining us. We thank you. We salute you. We praise you. We honor you. Welcome to the greatest education platform in this Milky Way solar system. I am your humble host, Jeremy, and as always, with the most beautiful, the most melanated, the most moisturized, my sister, Miss Naomi. How you doing today, Nay? I'm here. I'm tired, but it's good to be here. It's good to be here, man. This is uh this is a sacred space that we have created and there is no one else in this world who I would rather be sharing my time, sharing my energy, sharing my space, all of my resources with you, my bestest of friend, my bestest of friend. And welcome. Again, this is the Everyday Educators Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. Please hit that like and subscribe and on social media as well. Every excuse me, Everyday Educators. Don't forget the S. You know, we talked about uh, us being tired, you know, us being, I feel like the year is showing on us, right? The year is showing it on us. But I think it is important because this is in a space that we don't exist in alone, right? Um, you and I are here, you know, virtually together, but, you know, just within our uh, respective ecosystems, you know, everybody is 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 just filling the year right ready for a, a break a reset uh rejuvenation um and my question to you a lot of research about the importance of uh, adult play kind of in that restorative hmm. spirit that we're in right um i have a quote here from a sister yolanda tyler from her tedx talk However simplistic play seems to you, there is an entire complex symphony that can happen in your universe as you play. So just to like check in a level set, I'm asking you, how do you play, Nay? How do you play? Um, well, I live with Ashley. One day I came home and she was coloring. And I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, it's supposed to be like a good, she bought like all these coloring books. Cause apparently there are coloring books for everybody. Teenagers, adults, obviously children. I had no idea. And she was like, oh, I just bought a few coloring books off of Amazon. And so like, it's supposed to be the stress reliever and like take your mind off of things. And so she always liked to color even when we were kids. So it didn't like surprise me that she chose to do that. Um, but I, I, if I'm being honest, I don't like, I can't think of any time where I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna break and do this, like, 
one thing that I like consistently. Last week I went for a walk. I like to walk outside. I like fresh air. Yeah. Um, and preferably that's how I like I like to get my exercise to like walk or mm-hmm. run outside. Um but I hadn't done that in a long time. So I don't know, I guess maybe I just need to get better at figuring that out. Yeah, I think uh I don't think we play enough, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Tracy, you know, our friend Tracy, like when we're talking and, you know, you know, joking around or whatever, she'd be like, grow up. And I always be like, no, I'm never growing up. Mm-hmm. I think like being in, I always equated to like, when I see, uh, children eating, when I see like babies eating, I'm jealous. Cause it's always like a full body experience. Like it's like their mm-hmm. face, their hands. They're tasting, they're eating it, they're smelling it, they're seeing it. It's like they get all up in whatever it is that they're doing. And it's like mm-hmm. they are birthed into this world through playing with everything, playing with their food, playing with their environment. And they're like, we tell them, like, don't play with that, don't play with that, don't play with that. And it's like, how is she supposed to learn? You yeah. know? Um, so we should play more. We should play more. Let's get into actual factual, right? And for those of you who are just joining us, actual factual is where we cover something in the news. Um, And so our first, this is our first actual factual follow-up. We got a follow-up. And it comes to us from uh, Rafael Pena or Pena. I don't know how you pronounce it. You know, pardon me if I am jacking up your name i am prone to do that um via blackenterprise.com so recently there was a bookstore that opened in tampa bay florida called the english bookstore by a sister named gwen henderson Mm -hmm. she is tampa's only black city council member and so this connects back to our episode 12 on banned books. Mm. I know. Uh, Councilwoman Henderson states the Black English Bookstore is a sanctuary for banned books. Uh, the bookstore is named after a James Baldwin essay and aspires to be more than a bookstore. Henderson envisions that it is a space where Black authors are not confined to a single shelf, but are celebrated and showcased. So when I came across it, I was like, oh man, we just kind of covered that. So, you know, to everyone out there, A, keep reading. B, if you are looking for, you know, something that you might not find, you know, at your local library, you know, and you're in the Tampa Bay area, please check out the the Black English Bookstore. Um, so our next story, you know, we haven't had two actual factuals in a while. Um, but I was very inspired from the work that I was doing yesterday in our fellowship, and I decided to bring it here to share with you. Uh, comes from Dr. Asif Wilson. He is a professor at the University of Illinois, and he has an article titled Curricularizing Social Movements. Now, in this paper, he explores the mayoral journey of Harold Washington. 
And for those of you who don't know, that was Chicago's first black mayor. And uh, he examines this through the lens of the social movement that was the catalyst for his election. Now, Chicagoan, Afro studies major and graduate, I'm putting you on the spot. This is putting you on the spot all day today. Now, do you know the name of the movement that helped Mayor Washington get elected? No. I ain't know either, so don't, you know, don't feel mad. It's Operation Breadbasket, which eventually um. became Operation Push, led by the great Jesse Jackson. Now, in this paper, Dr. Wilson explored the relationship between understanding the analysis of oppression and its connection with movement building. And within that, how leaders of color can build black and brown solidarity. I thought it was very powerful, thought-provoking piece. I encourage you all to go back and read it. But my question to you, Nay, you know, in schools we learn about, a lot about like our icons, right? The Rosa Parks, the Malcolm X's, you know, Martin Luther King's and so forth. Um, but not so much like around the movements around them, right? That kind of fostered, you know, their growth and ability to even exist. So just from like your knowledge, and I know you, you know, have some, uh, some academic grounding in this, right? So just in your opinion, right? Nothing too deep. Like what is the importance of kind of learning about these social movements surrounding these icons? Why is, you know, why is it important to learn about those things? I think because the things you learn about the movements will surprise you. Like probably over the last five to 10 years when tragedy happens, people are like, we should march, we should protest. And what I always say, you know, I always say this is that, um, no one is discussing, they reference like historically, like Dr. King and like they marched, they protested, but like what they don't talk about is that like they prepare for a year. They practiced mustard and ketchup being squirted in their faces. They practiced standing for hours and hours and hours on Thanks. end. Like it was a highly, the civil rights movement was a highly, highly organized um, and well-oiled machine. It does not mean it was perfect, but every entity of that situation that they could think of and prepare for, they did. They had people lined up that were gonna pay the bill when everybody got sent to jail. They, um, like I said, they would be in people's basements practicing sitting at counters and what they would encounter, spit, people spitting on them, like that type of stuff. Like they were ready in every sense of the word. And so I that surprised me because I think like you hear about these things and you're like, oh, we also just get together and march and it's just not that simple. And I also recognize the world is different now. Um, but I think that is one reason. Well, in that reason, um, you also learn a lot about the women of these movements, which there's a book, I can't think of the name of the book, but kind of talks about all the things women did behind the scenes, black women specifically, um, and the roles that they took in order to 
set the movement up to be as successful as possible. So it's a little, um, some people will argue with me and that you know how the world feels about feminism. But in that, I think of, it's a little bit of like feministic pride. Like as a woman, you read about those, those other women, those historical figures who the world may, may never know really unless yeah. you read these books or look at the documentaries but you feel like a sense of pride of like knowing the work that they did and of what they put into it 100 percent, you know and i think that exists you know the first civil rights movement the second which is the most popular you know civil rights movement um the black panther black power Mm-hmm. Uh, snake establishing you know africana studies out west and and all the uh latin a movements you know over the years and mm-hmm. how these kind of weaved in and around one another <clears throat> and that is both on the local level right and on the you know national level so um a hundred percent you know what you know your uh outlook on that um for me my biggest takeaway you know thinking about this was like the invitation to act right Mm -hmm. like when you are reading and you kind of mentioned it you know every time you like read or you learn or you see you're like oh man like i i should be doing more i should i why am i not right or how you know how can i do more and um there's a little bit of a guilt because you kind of like again you you begin to like iconize those people like oh man you know those teachers in the 60s and 70s were like marching and they were doing this and they were doing that and like what am i doing right and i think that what you're really feeling is like that pull from the past from your higher self, from your ancestors, you know, whatever it is, the other is like inviting you to act like they had to be inspired too. like someone had to like reach inside of them and invite them to act. And like, this is them inviting us to do something. So, you know, everybody can do everything, but everyone can really do something, you know, where you are. So yeah, Mm -hmm. act. This is all in good fun. A few questions, eight questions, some multiple choice, you know, some not. And let's just see. It's all about college. All about college. Question one. Alma mater means what in Latin? A, graduate, B, loving friend, or C, nurturing mother? This is so I would the answer would be graduate, but mm-hmm. I know you. That's too easy. So I'm gonna go with B. The act the answer is actually C, nurturing mother. Oh wow. But I knew it wasn't the first one because I know <laughs> you. Okay. So what college was the first to graduate an African American woman? Is it A? Harvard University, B, 
Oberlin College or C, Queens College? I'm going to just say B. Correct. B, um, 1882, Mary Jane Patterson. We salute you. First woman graduate from a college. Amen. No multiple choice on this. Mm. What are the first black fraternity and sorority? Um, Alpha Phi Alpha and Alpha Kappa Alpha. That is correct. Alpha Phi Alpha, 1906, and Alpha Kappa Alpha, 1908. Very good. Another non-multiple choice. This one might be a little more difficult. What state has the most HBCUs? Oh, this is hard. Let's just watch a TikTok on this. Mm. Think about where they are, where most of the HBCUs are <clears throat> in the country. I am just going to go with Georgia. I don't know if that's right or not, but. Yeah. Okay. The answer is Alabama. You know how many they have? You want to guess? Ten. Four, Fourteen. Fourteen. That's a lot. All right. <clears throat> Turning up the heat a little more. This is probably the most difficult question. Which HBCU has the most students? This is annoying because I feel like it's going to be one that... It's not going to be an obvious one. No, it's it's a popular one. It's, it's a popular oh, okay. One. It's, it's a popular one. Um, the most students. Mhm. I give you a hint. It's East Coast. It's not in Alabama. Not in Georgia. Not in Florida. Is it Howard? It isn't Howard. It is North Carolina A and T. A and T with over thirteen thousand students. At what currently? Yep. Mhm. A and T. And like the past, yeah, they've been going strong for a while. Are they the Aggies? Yes. Yes. They are popular. Agriculture. Uh, yeah. That's the A in A and T. All right, layup. This is the easiest question. Mm-hmm. Vice President Kamala Harris attended which HBCU? Um, oh, I thought it was a layup. My bad. It's one of the H's. I don't know which one, though. If it's Howard or Hampton. Pick H. So, I'll pick Hampton since I picked Howard for the last one. I appreciate that. That's the real H-U. And we could fight in the comments. But Howard University is the answer. <clears throat> oh, okay. Howard University. So, this is the last two are uh, multiple choice right this is probably the most difficult question here snick the for those of you who don't know i know you know nay the student nonviolent coordinating committee was founded on what hbcu campus is it a florida a&m is it b shaw university or is it c jackson state university I'm going to go with Jackson State. It was B, Shaw University. I've never heard of that school. Yeah, Shaw University. Bonus fact, 
This was the first HBCU established after the Civil War in 1965. <clears throat> All right. Before Nate beats me up, we have the last question. HBCUs graduate. What percentage of all black judges? Is it A, 80%, B, 37%, or C, 64%? 64%. It is actually A, 80% of all black judges oh, have graduated from an HBCU. Oh, and yes. Our wonderful daily cup of joe. So it was something that I came across on Instagram actually that I'ma play and I just kinda you know want your thoughts on. But before that, um when I'm thinking, you know, just about like my ideal college campus experience or like something that I would want my students or future children and all that to have right like in my imagination like what is college right like certain things come to mind so i want you to kind of go back into that space like what mm. like you know this is what you know college is you know like so for me you know first things that i thought about were like you know for those of you who don't know at you know some hbcus you have a curfew you know, at first your freshman year, <clears throat> which we can talk about it later, but I'm very grateful for. And so it was like running back to my dorm so you don't get locked out or, you know, for curfew or like if you miss curfew and you might opt to like lay out, you know, some nights I laid out on the shore, you know, looking at the stars and just, you know, chilling, you know, that night. Um you know, to avoid the consequences of, you know, missing curfew or what have you. Uh, but, you know, like different things like that, that like in my imagination, like, ah, this is college, right? Like, what's that for you? What are those experiences, you know, in your mind? Um, College of community. I remember when I signed up at Chicago State, I'm sure I've talked about this before. I was not a good student. I didn't come to college as a good student, I didn't have good ACT scores, didn't really have great grades. Um, and so I got to Chicago State and I remember Miss Candy Bennett, shout out to Miss Bennett, she just retired, um, meeting my mom and kind of like holding her hand, you know how like black ladies hold hands. And she was like, don't worry mom, like we got her, we gonna get her through. And my mother was just like so worried about me entering college because I, I again, not a good student. I didn't care about school, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, Miss Bennett stayed on me. She was there the whole time, even after Chicago State at the time had a program for students that were kind of like questionable. Um, and so they, you got like, you had to do check-ins and like all this stuff, which was the perfect thing for me. I flourished and came out of there stronger than ever. So what I'm trying to say is that like that sense of community and accountability, similar to what you're saying about a curfew, somebody yeah. on you, as my mama would say, like white on rice, like really would like 
got me to being a much more confident student, um, a much more organized student. By the time I graduated, I I knew college in and out. I knew how I can did we, college. Like, can we pause right here? Because I want to. We both mentioned something. I think we could, we should like make space to explore that. <clears throat> Chicago State is not an official HBCU, but for all intents and purposes, anybody with the third good Marshall College Fund is basically a HBCU. And in so many ways, the role of that third parent, well, you got your mom, your dad, and then you got your college. And the care that HBCUs know, I'm not saying they don't, programs and systems don't exist like outside of that at PWI so like this is not an us versus them kind of thing but I am just trying to highlight because someone is out there considering like should I send my child there and so I just kind of want to dig a little deeper talk just briefly you know not too much um about that right and so I can say like my experience my time at Hampton like had I not had that year at Hampton I mean I'm back there now but it's in a different capacity but if I didn't have that year like that experience those grades like everything that I received there like kept me covered even when I left yeah because like they set me up for success we had to dress a certain way when we went into Ogden Hall like I said, we had curfew until uh, homecoming, and then in the semester, in the spring semester, I remember we was wilding out, just like the whole dorm was acting crazy. And so he put his, I, I, uh, director, put us back on curfew for like a week. Like man, y'all got to get it together, you know. And it's like they cared, like us as young men. Like, no, nah, we're going to make sure that y'all be successful. And if you're not successful, is it like in spite of everything that we're doing, you know? So you can you talk a little bit more about that? Successful. You said what? I said you basically working real hard to not be successful. Man, you're going to have to try, man, because we, we finna, you know, do everything we can. So how was it for you, like, in that regard? I felt like it was the same. So the program I was in at Chicago State was two years in the sense of, like, the um like the probationary period or whatever you call it. And it started over the summer. So I took math over the summer. Was never a great math student. I had the opportunity to take Spanish again. So that helped me out like going into my um freshman year. So I I made some friends uh in that program. Um and then when we start, like I said, there were like multiple check-ins there was a class that you had to take and the class was all about how to manage college life and I remember being like why did why am I the only like why are we the only people that have to take this like I feel like everybody should and ultimately I don't know if it's still the same but I do know at one point they switched the program to first year experience and they had all freshmen do it um and if I had to guess it was because it was so successful because in that class they talked about how to manage a refund check when you get it how to manage your time the lesson i learned about how to study 
and studying on a consistent schedule. It is something that you do at the same time every day, like eating dinner or eating your breakfast. They, I learned in that program. And so I learned that I like to study in the evenings. I prefer a window. And so I took that and like used it. I used it through grad school. Like there were just so many little things that they are, I guess they're not little things, but like managing your time, managing your money, how you study, when to study, like so many things that they taught us in that program that just allowed me to excel, excel on top of checking in with me, making sure I had, and my grades were fine. I hit the honor roll for the first time since second grade. <laughs> I had God. never seen such great grades <laughs> and a high GPA. Um, and once the two years was over, I was fine. Like I didn't need anything. Or was it two years or a year and a half? I can't remember. But once the program was over, like I didn't need any. I mean, I still had it. Miss Bennett was around, and so I could go and talk to her and see her. And um, there was another woman, Mrs. Yazdi. They were both available and. They were still there. They were at my graduation, like, but just that community, like I cannot stress enough the importance of community. And somebody knowing your parent, I know nobody likes to do that. And in college, we think we all grown, but the fact that Miss Bennett could get my mom on the phone, that means like, something. that mattered. No, and that even though, meant like, something. I stayed at home, but, and so like, it was a really small circle, but I just, I needed that so much and I'm just very grateful to like my mom having the foresight of like making me go there because I didn't want to go there and seeking out someone like my advisor and building that connection with that woman on her own and just having that like triangle between the three of us especially in that first year um I would argue like changed the trajectory of my life like I could have been like not failed out like not having my stuff together like all that stuff and I saw other kids who had much better grades than me much smarter than me like at the end of the semester have terrible grades and we're sitting in the cab as they call it at Chicago State I don't know if they still call it that they do everybody's looking at their their grades and I'm cool, I'm good. And these other kids that I, they went to better schools, like everything. They are now got the probationary letter. Um, No, so as I was saying, to your, you know, previous <clears throat> point of, you know, being in the CAF and, you know, those students who just have a different background, right? And they but they weren't in that same program and thus did not get similar results right so you know a little bit about me it took me four years excuse me eight years to get a four-year degree right i left hampton i was running around chasing my friends at different schools i was trying to get this thing called a refund check that i didn't you know know of i didn't know anybody who had a refund check at at hampton i'm sure some people did i just it just wasn't as like prominent like everybody get one and when i left that supportive environment 
yes, I definitely know that, you know, my decisions were the biggest factor as why it took me so long. But also it was like I I needed more support, you know, mm-hmm. because I was so immature. And it wasn't until year six when I was like mature enough to be like, I should probably take the school more serious and stop signing up for accounting one-on-one for the seventh time, you know? I, I took it six times. So, you know, to your point, right? Like, students need those support. And to land the plane, HBCUs, you know, they provide a lot of that, so. Yeah, um, the assumption that because a student has good grades and they got good test scores that they would be able to navigate all that college is and isn't is like wild to me. It was wild to me then. It's even more wild to me now as yeah. an adult that um, I don't work with teenagers exclusively or even regularly, but I see them. I work on a, a, a school campus. And so it's like, how could you, how? Like, how do you- I mean, just think about all the support you need at your big age. So at 18, you like, nah, you got it, dog. Go through your thing, 21. <laughs> like, what? Like, no. It's nuts. All right, so that was the introduction to this clip that when I heard it, I was like, ooh. Are you going to play a clip? I'm going to play. Come on now. You know, now. we podcasting up here. You know, we big podcasters. You feel me? All right. So listen up. Got to set my levels for the vocals, you know? All right, listen. I do not believe people when they tell me they miss college because I don't think anybody actually misses college, bro. I think what most people miss is experiencing a walkable community because if you live in America, college is probably the first and last time you will ever live in a walkable community. On a college campus, you can go work, gym, food, home, friend's house, dinner, home. And that's just a casual two-hour stretch, right? Like a 6 to 8 p.m. on a Tuesday evening. But that's because college campuses are built for human engagement by humans, whereas the general world we live in is built for corporations and cars. The greatest trick corporations ever pulled off was finding a way to legally tax every single social interaction you will ever have, right? And I call it, it's like the silent tax, right? The gas drive park tax, right? Where basically anywhere you want to go or do, you have to drive there, use gas, and park at that venue, right? And it turns something that would have been, like we were saying earlier, just a two-hour social, you know, social trip, wrap everything up and go right back home into a 12-hour experience that you're have to set aside your entire weekend it's almost like this silent taxes made being a well-rounded member of your community so outrageously expensive that people are forced to just pick one dimension of community building and make that their entire personality whatever that is whether it's work relationships religion i think that's where we get a lot of this behavior that we're seeing on social media from right is basically people having to make these really hard decisions like dang i don't have the time effort and mental health to be a good family man friend employee Go to the gym? Well, I guess I'm just going to be, <laughs> I guess I'm just going to build my whole personality around the gym and find these voices in my head, right? Back to the main point, like, long story short, um, you don't miss college, you miss communism. <laughs> All right. So what do you think? Uh, he's not wrong. Like, I think about when my mom, obviously, like, every everybody has... Um, your parents have friends that are like your aunties or your uncles or whatever. But my my mom used to always say like college is the one place where like everybody's trying to do the same thing. You all are roughly around the same age. You are depending on where you are. Um, at Chicago State, mainly everybody was black. 
it was a, a very black campus um and you are all in pursuit of the next big thing which is your college degree and so that she was like you need to recognize that community and i bring that up because it's like the friends she made there are like still her friends now like 50 years later um and so she was like that community is very important and i remember like like most people do kind of like rolling your eyes and being like whatever like i'll find friends but as what i'm well over 10 years out of college and i think about that similar to what he was saying like i think about that time and like everywhere i look somebody was like my age but they're into something different or they're doing like you just have like so many avenues of like expanding yourself and getting to know other people um and chicago state was unique in the sense that like they had some what we call non-traditional students so i also think that was a benefit in the sense of like you got people that work full-time jobs they raising kids and then they are in class with you at 6 p.m and they are far more serious and a much better student than you and you look over like dang like i i gotta try harder too like that kind of like push or reality check um you're able to have there so again the theme of this show, episode seems to be like community and then you come out you go you get your car you get a job and he's right you look up and you don't have the capacity to do all these different things and so you are unfortunately like limited and then you add another yep. la layer and you move away and it makes it even worse <laughs> i know i mean let I me mean, college brought us together right that's how we got here um for me i think about the built environment so story time guys when i was young i loved the famous jet jackson rest in peace lee thompson young aka silverstone and for those of you who don't know he was a the show was centered around this you know black teenager who was an actor <clears throat> and the on the show that he acted on it was very meta now that I'm trying to say it but like he was an actor in the show like a real famous actor on a show he played like a teenage spy called Silverstone right but the show was about like him kind of getting overwhelmed with the uh, Hollywood life and moving his whole you know show and production family everything to this town and North Carolina, which, as I reflected on it, I always, like, saw myself living in North Carolina, and it was probably because of this show. Um, and I was disappointed when I found out Willstead, which is the town that he lived in on the show, wasn't a real place. Kind of like, uh... Tragic. What's the show? Uh, the one we talk about, like, college. I'm blanking on it right now. With Whitley? Um... The Cosby Show? Yes. Why can't I say the name of this A different school? world. Yeah. A different world. When I found out that wasn't a real school. Anyway. Um, but yeah, like I, I like I saw, you know, in the city, in the car all the time and like on a bus, you know, when I was in high school, like I saw this kid, you know, this person just kind of like living his life. And, and now as an adult, I was like, I was envious of not having to like spend thousands of hours in a car thousands of dollars in gas hundreds of dollars in parking 
like I could just like walk to the show, walk to work, walk to my homie crib. You know, it was just like all right here. And I think about like how he mentioned in the clip, like when you go to college, it's right there. It wasn't no DUIs. You just walked home or you stayed, you know, at the couch at the, you know, at the Q house. Shout out to the Q's out there at Easton. If you know, you know, but man, it was just like when, um, yeah, I don't have to go too deep on it, but I thought about it and I was like, huh? And then an, among other things of like why I believe people should go to college and I do believe everybody should go to college. Um, it was really like that integration of like what and how we educate ourselves and that like dictating like how we function in the rest of our life. Like to your point, you know, you learn how you study and like you're studying something that you know has great utility, right? Major in African-American studies. And like that was like the center point of your life and then everything else was like built around it, you know? Whereas, like, now, you know, we ask people every week, like, what they want to learn more about and what, you know, they read more about. But it's like, bro, I got to work. Or I got to try to squeeze in. It's time to work out. Or I got to, man, I ain't talked to my friends or seen anybody in months, you know. So I got to find time. Whereas, like, when you in college, like, I'm in school and I'm going to go study and, like, everything else is kind of built around that, so. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just sit in the cab and wait. Like people gonna walk, <laughs> your people gonna walk past. <laughs> this is what I'm saying, you know. And maybe that's why I like the shop, cause it's like I could sit in there and I don't. For the most part, like in a week, maybe not in a day, but in a week, I could just sit there, and everybody who I want to see, I could check in with. Mm-hmm. So, what a blessing, except you. But we have this, so. As an outro, I want us to set some intentions for the week. I'm going to challenge you, right? I need you to name one way, big or small, long time, short time, but one way that you will play this week. I don't even know. So I'm going to let you think about it. So I said, I'm going to spend some time with our godson mm-hmm. telling jokes. He likes to tell jokes, terrible, terrible jokes. And I will, but you know, he is getting better. I will say that. At, he's going to be eight. There's more nuance to his jokes. A little more, not a lot, a little more. So I will spend some time with him telling jokes. What about you? Um, I think I'm going to try to uh, play some games on the PS5. Okay. There we so go. So we got, we have, I mean, the typical ones, Madden and yeah. 2K. So the other day I was watching um our nephew play. He was over here and I was like, I think over my break I'm going to yeah. take up video games. And look. See how that works out for me. The next channel, our spin-off channel for everyday educators, is Nay's gaming channel. Stop. Big Nay. Stop it. Putting it down, winning hundred thousand in them two K tournaments. I'm with it. All right. Well, that's our show, y'all. I hope you know that you enjoyed 
this and always you know blessed that you are going on this journey with us um, again this is the everyday educators podcast until next time keep teaching keep learning keep